So on the first day of the Feast of Booths, of Feast of Sukkot, on the 15th day of the seventh month, it is said, and what we will be reading today, that it shall be a sacred occasion, and you shall not work at your occupations. And seven days, it says, you shall bring gifts to the Lord. So after we have cleaned our slate, or as Rabbi David, our senior rabbi said, after we thought we have become straight, right? We found ourselves in our kind of straightness. It seems like we have a place to begin. And in this beginning, we are reviving our relationship with the divine, with God on Sukkot. So, Bayikar Rabbah, Leviticus Rabbah in, in the Midrash, it's, they say also that, yes, we on Sukkot revive this relationship. So then this reading says first day, then it says on the eighth day, again, the same instructions, observe a sacred location, bring gifts to the Lord, and you shall not work. This is, it seems to me like a sandwich, right? Like a beginning, do this, same list, at the end, do this, right? So on Shemini Atzeret, it's the same, the same instruction. So it seems to me here, I'm reading this and I'm thinking, okay, what is, what it be for me to bring gifts to the Lord? What is giving a gift? So there's a story. So once, a long time ago, there was a young couple and they got married in autumn and they got married under the chuppah. The chuppah, but it's the chuppah of the sukkah. And they had the friends, relatives, and when the time came at like this auspicious moment of the ceremony, they invoked the Ushpitzin. The Ushpitzin, we say, are the guests. So not necessarily guests, the physical guests that you have, but their ancestors. So really we would invoke Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, Veleah, Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, and all those who mean much to you as your ancestors. So they said their vows, the full moon was peeking through, uh, through the shkach, through the roof. You could see the sky through it. And also, so they asked for that, that special, um, those special guests that only they perhaps could see in their heart. The guests came forth, they gave gifts, things that you could see, and they got blessings, and they gave blessings. And suddenly, a stranger came forward. She had long hair down to her waist and her face was lined, lined with wisdom and her clothes were rumpled. So clearly not prepared for the wedding. And everyone was puzzled. So they said, oh, she must be from other, another town, probably passing through, right? And the woman approached the couple and said, because your love is really tried and true, I have a special present for you and what did she have in her hand but a round gourd? Right? So you will see in a lot of our Sukkot, gourds that are maybe pierced through and hanging from the, from, from the Sukkah. So there, this stranger gave them a gourd. And the stranger said, well, this gourd is magical, not just any, any other gourd. If you hold it, it will grant you a wish but only one. So use it with care, plan what you're going to ask for, because after that, that's it. You don't get another chance. So the guests, of course, 
We're not hearing any of the exchange. They're just looking at the couple mesmerized by the stranger. The stranger continued and said, well, make this wish in the fall and make it when the moon is full. Come into the sukkah and also bring on the ancestors. Invoke the ancestors as you've invoked them today. Together, agree on one wish and you will, and you will be granted it. So the woman gave them the gourd and before, then what happens? Before they could say thank you, what happened to the woman, the stranger? Poof! She disappeared. They, they disappear. So they took this gourd and they hung it, and they pierced through it, and they hung it um, on, the, you know, on the branches, right in the center of the sukkah, so it was like their disco ball. It was right there catching all the lights, like their crystal. So it so happened that there was actually another guest nearby, and the guest heard the exchange and said, hmm, what do you think that guest said? Mm-hmm, I wish I had it. So, what did this guest do when everybody had disappeared and gone home? What? Came back, right? And took the gourd down and stole it and replaced it though, right? Replaced it with another one that looks just like it, right? Just, just like it. But this gourd that was up there now did not have the charge given by the stranger, right? It wouldn't give you, it wouldn't grant any wishes. Now, so this person went away and on his way out, his, in his wagon, he was so thrilled about what the gourd would do for him, how rich could become. And he, of course, was driving his wagon and because of his reverie, went, in, went right into a, um, like a, a mud hole and he was stuck. The more he tried, and you know what it is when you try to drive, right? To rev up your wheels in the mud, what happens? You get more and more stuck. And so he said, I wish, I wish I could just get out of this mess. And so what happened? Did he get his wish? Got his wish. And there he was back on dry land, and the wish was wasted and completely poof for no one. It's gone. So meanwhile, back in the ranch, the couple started their life. And they had, they had, they had taken down this gourd, their magic gourd, and they brought it home and placed it somewhere where they thought, oh, this will be their treasure for all time. And every so often, every couple of years, they would just look at it and think, well, you know, maybe we, ne we need to call in the wish because our, our business is faltering and maybe we should ask for something. But then they went into their sukkah again because every year they would put back the sukkah and, and, and hang this, this small gourd. And every time they would go, they would say, well, I think we have to invoke bring our ancestors. And so they would come and they would feel their presence. They would be renewed. 
And when it was time to make their wish, they put their hands on the gourd and they thought, hmm, maybe if we work harder, maybe if we talk to each other more, um, our wishes would come true and we wouldn't have to waste that wish, right? So again, one other Sukkot came by and left and they didn't use their wish. Then they thought, hmm, work, work, work. We are only two, we need a child. So again, the next year they entered the Sukkah and there in, this, in the moon of the, of the autumn glowed this, and they said, oh my gourd, please, maybe we should not waste our wish on it. And he said, you know, if we pray hard instead and not waste the wish, if we do tahagat mishpacha, if we, if we observe the cycle of nature so that we can have a family, maybe we can conceive instead of wasting our wish. And so what happened, as in any story like this, they had a child. So they prayed, the child came, and then years went by, and then they started to grow older. And another Sukkot came by and they put it up and they thought, well, I think it's time to use our wish. We're getting older. Who knows? Perhaps it is time to ask for a wish that will be granted and will be given to us and give us immortality. They thought of this. What do you think they did? Did they ask for immortality? No. They just said, you know, maybe if we learn how to grow gracefully older, right? we learn how to bend with each other, we would be all right. Eventually, that gourd passed on to the daughter and they had died and they had left this world, passed on to the daughter and passed on to a granddaughter. After so many years, you know what happens to a gourd after many years, what happens? It dries up, right? And, and when you shake it, what do you hear? Right? It's like a shaker, right? So they thought, oh, so the granddaughter and the great granddaughter thought, oh, perhaps this is all completely dried up and, um, and dead and there's no more wish. It doesn't contain a wish. It sounds like, hmm, sounds like a seashell if you put it to your ear. So somebody said, well, maybe it still has magic, right? It looks dead and dry and no longer that shiny, shining orb, but perhaps it's, it's now making music, perhaps it has magic. So what did they do? They hung it up again. And there they asked that night, many generations after, for the Ospitzin and the ancestors to come, and they were filled with magic. And the wishes came and went and continued for generations to come. And that is the end of the story. So I thought, well, that must be what it means to be a gift to the Lord, to follow a truth, an emet, right? Awakening a truth and one and, and following the truth with meaning and purpose. Yet also, as a mere mortal, I believe in magic, but also I believe that I have to work hard for something. I have to be in community. I can't do my, I can't make my dreams come true alone. So, if you are called to give a gift to the divine with 
the empty shell sometimes that you have when you are spent, but also with the whole you, right? Just like this lulav that we have, right? It, when you shake it, it's not like a stick that goes like this. It goes like this, right? It can bend sideways, and the spine is able to bend and open and actually make a spiral and circle. So Bayikaraba says even that we should be praying as we are praying with the lulav, not only with our hearts, but with all our bones, right? So think of when we shake the lulav, we have another chance tomorrow and the next few days, is that we're not here, we don't do this, right? But we are part of the spine and we bend, we bend, we raise up and perhaps even bend back and that we challenge the physical body that holds our spirit. The waving and the raising was something that the rabbis observed, right? So it's not a forward and back. It's as if there's a wave going forward and a wave coming back. There's a raising up in a wave and a raising and a coming down. And this imitates a rite that Aharon and his son actually did as an inaugural rite in the temple, in the book of Exodus that can be found. So not only is a raising and a wave coming back, but also there's a direction. We talked earlier about, we pointed to each other, yes? Who's the light here? You are the light. Who's the light here? You are the light. But if we use the lulav, to point directly at somebody. So the rabbis had this thing to say in Masechet Sukkot. They said, that sticking someone straight like this with your lulav is like sticking an arrow in the eye of Satan, of the avenging angel. So did you think that it's just kids who might be playing like sabers with a lulav? We have a proof that in Talmudic times that the rabbis and the people of that time used to play with this lulav and would even like stick each other. So they say then that it is better, even if it's an avenging angel in front of you, not to, not to stick them and hurt them, hurt their feelings, but rather try to find a way that is a wave and a raising of the other to manifest and to transmit the truth. So if you are called to use your whole gift of self, this is your aliyah. Come and get a blessing that we want to use our eyes so that we can spy kindness. Come on over. Come and we'll start the reading of the Torah to spy kindness and need and injustice that needs to be corrected and also to spy the words in the shape of the um, in the in the shape of the araba that it doesn't make avera but it gives kindness and compassion